All right, business and bucket fans, we are live. Episode 23 coming at you on this beautiful May evening here in Seattle. Let's talk field supplements. Warm weather is right around the corner. I could just see it outside. It's beautiful out. This means less clothing and bathing suit days in the warm water. Get your summertime shine with Field Supplements Advanced Thermogenic and Fuel Good Formula. It's called Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, and provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, and enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, stack with Counterattack and get yours exclusively at fieldsupplements.com and use promotion code BUCKETS for 20% off all products except whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 20% off. I share the Field Supplements word all around my social media's pages, so check them out, people helping people, and it's a perfect time to supplement your summer and get that summer bod rocking. I know I'm working on mine, especially coming back from Hawaii. Well, the NFL, there's some interesting news that happened. Um, obviously, it's a little longer of a of a week within this podcast. It'll be launching tonight and tomorrow uh, because I had gone to Hawaii for vacation. But the NFL schedule is here. I was so uh, so pumped for the NFL schedule every year. I don't know why they make it such a big deal and a big announcement just to try to get more ratings or something. Uh, but I wanted to see the big time matchups. I wanted to see what was in store for my Steelers when it comes to you know, time frame of playing specific opponents. And I'm sure all of you NFL and football fans feel the same way. But let's talk the Sunday night matchups because to me, that's the best primetime game every single week. They have the best schedule every single week. And, you know, there are Thursday night football games, Monday night football games, and, and, and in holidays as well. But the Sunday night football is where the action lives. So the first week, I mean, this is prime time written all over it. We got the Cowboys. We got the defending champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Dak coming back after the season uh, uh, with the injury. Everyone wants to see how he can perform. And the Cowboys just continually, continually underperform. So this is a big measuring stick for them in an NFC battle right out the gates. And there's going to be plenty to watch. There's going to be new people on both teams. Uh, there's going to be Tom Brady. There's going to be Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott. See how that running game can go. So I'm super excited for the first week Sunday Night Football. And then the next week we have uh, the Bears versus Rams. According to the Bears brass, it's going to be the Dalton Andy Dalton show. Uh, it could be Justin Fields, though, if he starts slow, gets beaten camp. I thought Fields was the, the no-doubt number two pick, and I think Fields is going to end up taking that job earlier than later. So I would love to see Fields here. Uh, but the Rams, man, having Sam Bradford, I think they are a top three contender in the whole fo NFL football league. Uh, so I can't wait to see what the Rams could provide in the primetime matchup. And then week three. I think week three is probably a top five game of the season. We have the Chiefs. We have the Ravens. Uh, a little bit more of an uh, not prototypical uh, AFC Sunday night matchup is we're used to seeing defense over the past decade, but now things are transforming to offense, and these two teams are leading the way with the hybrid running quarterbacks, the mobile quarterbacks, and Lamar Jackson's 0-2 versus Patty Mahomes. Uh, so that's going to be uh, probably a 35-45 somewhat matchup, and I can't wait. It's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens, me Ravens measure up against the Chiefs 
because to me, there really isn't no question who's going to win unless there is unforeseen circumstances. Um, I would bet the house that the Pat Mahomes is going to win MVP and that the Chiefs win, especially with that offensive line revamping that we talked about last week. And then week four, we got the Packers. We got the Niners. You know, if Rodgers is here at this point, that'll be great. Since he hasn't been traded after you know around the draft time and here throughout the offseason, a lot of people are saying that it'll probably happen within the season. So, you know, this is really dependent on Rodgers. I know they signed Blake Bortles, uh, but without Rodgers, this team isn't anything close to the same. But can you imagine Rodgers going against his old favorite and hometown team, the 49ers? The 49ers brassed up. Are we going to see Trey Lance at this point? Supposedly, um, you know, Jimmy G is going to be running the show. I would assume he does. I wouldn't want to rush Trey Lance in there. But there's plenty of different things that could happen in this matchup. And then, of course, again, Tampa Bay is going to be in Sunday Night Football. They go against the Patriots, the TB12 return. Uh, there's not going to be enough drama here. Is Tom Brady going to shake Bill Belichick's hand? Is Bill even going to talk about Tom Brady? Uh, these are the things that will be dr dramatic headlines throughout that whole week and probably one of the most anticipated games of the season and revenge games, not because of the game, but because storyline alone. Uh, I haven't done my season predictions yet. I like to wait through further through offseason, make sure there's no crazy season-ending injuries. There's other free agents like Richard Sherman that could help other teams. Uh, but this game shouldn't be close. I mean, I expect the Patriots to be hovering around 500, but there's so many fun, dramatic lines in here. And who knows, you know, Bill Belichick's going to be sending the house to try to get a victory in this game. And it would be kind of funny if the Patriots did beat them. Uh, uh, no, not going to lie. And then the AFC championship rematch. We got Bills. We got Chiefs. Another powerhouse AFC battle. Uh, you got Josh Allen. You got Pat Mahomes. I mean, this is going to be another shootout out uh uh, for all the betters taking the overs and things of that nature. This is one of my favorite games and uh, will, will be a huge measuring stick for the Bills because just my gut feeling, I think the Bills will take a step back this year, uh, but an awesome AFC matchup. And then my Pittsburgh Steelers are going to host the Seattle Seahawks, which is always a shootout. I came to Seattle and watched them, you know, I lived here, but went to the Seattle game and watched them many years ago. And I think the final score is like 45-42. And then the game in Pittsburgh I went to uh, was a really close game, even though Ben Roethlisberger was out really early in that game. But Big Ben is 0-2 against Russell Wilson, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So many question marks on the Steelers this year. Um, a lot of people are kind of counting them out. I see a lot of 8-9 and nine predictions, which is so weird saying 8-9 and nine with the 17-game season. I'm just so used to the whole 8-8 eight and eight thing. Uh, but this is going to be a fun game. I was really hoping this was going to be in Seattle since it was in Pittsburgh last, but it is going to be in Pittsburgh. I, I don't think I'll be heading up to Pittsburgh to go watch another game this year, uh, but it would have been great to watch my team here in Seattle, especially if they could get the dub. And then from there, we have the Colts and the Niners. Um, whether it's Trey Lance or Jimmy G, this is going to be a Carson Wentz primetime especially depending on how the Colts are performing, you know, this far in the season, as he's going to have so much pressure under him as a top quarterback drafted, leaving the Eagles. Was it the Eagles? Was it Carson Wentz? I think it was more so the Eagles, and I expect Carson Wentz to have a tremendous season. Uh, but this is going to be a fun one, and I do foresee the Colts being right around contention status this season. Uh, we have Cowboys versus Vikings. Nice NFC matchup there. The Vikings are kind of an interesting team. I don't think they throw a, a ton of headlines out there, uh, but they will be one of the tougher teams in the NFC. And then we have Titans versus Ram, a little AFC-NFC action. 
Uh, I love that Ram squad at the end and Matt Stafford, but they will be mentally tested with the toughness of that Titans uh, team and King Henry. Then we have the Chiefs versus the Raiders. What a fun divisional battle that will be. I you know, feel terrible for the other teams in that division that have to play the Chiefs twice, but the Raiders usually pull one out, so this will be great. See what Gruden and crew has because there's going to be a lot less pressure and limelight under him, especially the, the Raiders hosting games at home now in that brand-new stadium. Uh, but he got a massive 10-year contract. He's got to start making moves, and he's got to make the playoffs. Mike Mayock, too. I mean, he's part of this, right? And then we have the Steelers again. Uh, you know, if you're not a Steelers fan, we usually almost always get five primetime games, typically two Sunday night. We're a history franchise, one of the best franchises there. It's just kind of something that you earn. Uh, you know, like the Packers, the Patriots, you're going to expect five primetime games, the Cowboys, from these teams every single year. And for some reason, they always just put us up against the Chargers. Whenever the Steelers and Chargers play, it's prime time. Uh, we usually slobber them out. Uh, but watching Justin Herbert and that Chargers team this year is really going to be interesting, and there will be lots of headlines to tune into. And then we have the Bills versus the Saints, little AFC-NFC action. I can't wait to see how Justin, uh, Justin uh, Jameis Winston does in New Orleans. Uh, this is going to be a, a career-defining moment for him. And uh, that Saints team roster-wise is still pretty nasty. And another awesome AFC North battle the next week, we have Browns versus Ravens. This could really be for top dog in the division as it's towards the end of the season. Uh, the Browns have really improved their team on the defensive side of the ball. Lots of acquisitions there have performed very well on the offensive side of the ball. You get OBJ back. These guys could sneakily just mess around and win a Super Bowl. I don't know if it would necessarily be that sneaky, but... Uh, they're going to be a tough team, and you know, they kind of threw the little brother situation out of the window last year after be, uh, after beating the Steelers in their home field in Heinz Field in the playoffs. I am still salty. Yes, absolutely. Fucking Browns. And then we have 49ers Seahawks, another divisional battle that could be determining top dog status. You know, just from where I think the teams stand today. I'm probably going to go Rams, Niners, Seahawks, Cardinals, uh, but it's going to be a very tough battle. I could see three teams in this division making the playoffs, but this is going to be a big proving point towards the second half of the season, and the 49ers, Seahawks still have a lot of rivalry going within those matchups. Moving to the next week, we got Bears-Packers. Again, another battle, NFC North uh, in the winter, going to be a slugfest. I would assume Justin Fields is starting at this point. Uh, you know, is Rodgers going to be there? We have no clue at this point, but it's going to be a, a battle. Those games are always very close. So we'll be tuning into that Sunday night matchup. And then there's the Saints versus Bucks. Some reason every year this team has a team that was towards the latter half of the division uh, end up being at the top of the division. I've seen a lot of people's early predictions based off the schedule releasing. And a lot of people, it seems like, have pretty predictable standings and pretty similar to last year. Uh, I'm thinking this division goes for a little bit of a world win and maybe Jameis Winston and the, the Saints could be the, the top dogs. Who knows? Uh, but that's going to be a great game. And then the next week, one, uh, 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 actually, the next two both divisional battles, we got the Washington football team versus the Cowboys. The Washington football team is kind of like the, the Rays. Nothing about their team is sexy, but they find ways to win. And uh, I'm sure they'll find a ways to win with Ron Rivera this next coming year with the defensive line in front that they have. Uh, but the quarterback situation, iffy at this time, looks like it's going to be Taylor Heineke versus uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in offseason. I would assume Heineke does that, but you know 
Fitzpatrick's always found a way into the role, uh, but that team's going to be very interesting to see how they perform, and there could be some sort of divisional playoff seeding uh, on the line here towards the end of the season. And then week 17, we have Vikings versus Packers, another NFC North game. It's in Lambeau. You could foresee some winter events happening there. And week 18's TBD. It's going to be flexible, um, probably just based on who's doing what, what looks like the best matchup towards the end of the year. And, of course, the last couple weeks could be flexible too, especially I'm assuming that Washington football team uh, Cowboys game if the Washington football team tanks early season. Couple surprises here. First Monday night football game. Uh, how cool is it that the Las Vegas Raiders get to host that in their new stadium? It literally, I just, I keep calling it the uh, Death Star because it looks like a Death Star when you're driving through Vegas and you see that bad boy. Now they have a club in the end zone. Shit's going to be crazy. Uh, I, I love the idea of Vegas having sports teams. I, I, I know that we'll talk about this later, but with the Oakland A's potentially moving, um, I'm, I'm super excited to see what the Raiders fan base and, and stadium holds this season. And, of course, no Steelers-Ravens. As a Steelers fan, I think this is one of the better rivalries. And it's been a very good game since Lamar Jackson's been there. Was a little bit surprised to see no primetime games for them in that matchup. Um, not even Steelers-Browns. So, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's going to be lots of good games. But I think that one should always have a primetime matchup written on it. No holiday games for them either. Some other notable games and matchups. The Browns seem to be favored by whoever makes these primetime schedules. The Bills were favored last year, and they had a big up-and-coming season, so they're betting on the Browns to do that this year. Seahawks versus Rams, Week 15. I think this is going to be huge. This could definitely you know, determine playoff positioning. And then the Rams and the Seahawks playing in the playoffs last year. And, then, um, and that's Week 15, so towards the end of the year. We have Jags versus Jets week 26. That's the battle of the top two picks. Zach Wilson versus Trevor Lawrence. Both these teams are going to be going through a whirlwind and lots of pressure on these quarterbacks. I'm going to be taking the Jags because I love Trevor Lawrence and I'm not a big fan of Zach Wilson. If you've been tuning in to Business and Buckets, you've heard me talk all about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to that game. It'll be fun to see those two guys square off. Rams versus Lions, where Goff returns. I would assume the Rams destroy the Lions in that game, but it's still a revenge game that's very intriguing. That's midseason week seven. The Panthers versus Jets week one. That's a Sam Darnold revenge game. I would assume that he, he plays with the Panthers and starts with them throughout the season. Who knows with the Panthers at this point what the hell their game plan is. But that's going to be fun. I would assume that they are able to beat the Jets. And Sam Darnold really wants to put the work in on the on, on his ex-team. And a little double dip in week seven as well. The Texans play the Cardinals. You got J.J. Watt's first game back against the Texans and Hopkins. I think time will tell what happens with Deshaun Watson. Does anyone really know? Absolutely not. But I'm sure he's not looking forward to seeing J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones up on the opposite side of him. And I'm sure DeAndre Hopkins is going to tell Kyler to give me the goddamn ball because the Houston Texans will probably be in for the number one pick next year. Um, I would assume Spencer Rattler, as long as he's healthy, is the number one quarterback, and it sucks because he'll probably go to that team. From there, we have Saints versus Bucks, which is always a fun divisional battle. The Jameis revenge game. As a starter for the Saints, you know, that's week eight. Who knows? Maybe he loses the job and Taysom Hill takes it by the time. But in theory, the Jameis revenge game, 
Um, and that would be an awesome game for the Saints to be able to beat the Bucs as defending champions. And we all know Tom Brady wants to go undefeated, so who knows what their record is at this point. I don't foresee them going undefeated at all, but hey, who knows? They won the fucking Super Bowl in their first year together. And they have like the same team uh, with, with the draft class. We got Pats versus Panthers on week nine, the Cam Newton revenge game. I mean, who knows if he's actually starting at this point in time. Supposedly, he gets the keys to the car, but the whole Mac Jones thing, Mac Jones could potentially be in there as well. But if Cam is playing, that will be very interesting. That's week nine. We have Jags versus Bucks, Trevor Lawrence versus Joe Burrow, number one this year, number one last year. You know Trevor has a little bit of a, I would say, you know, bad history with Joe Burrow after that championship game where LSU just straight flat out kicked everybody's ass that year. And I think Trevor's going to want something to say with that. I would say that um, the Bengals, I put Jags versus Bucks. It's Jags versus Bengals. Uh, I would say the Bengals have a better team at this point, but that'll be a fun one to see those two bat, uh, quarterbacks battle it out. And then Browns versus Steelers week eight, the playoff revenge game. I mean, those ones are always fun. Plus it's a little bit of, Big brother, little brother, can the Steelers still come out on top as everyone expects them to finish third or fourth in the division? For the holiday games, we got Thanksgiving, your typical teams. We got Bears versus Lions, Raiders versus Cowboys, and Saints versus Bills. Always got the Lions, always got the Cowboys. I mean, I don't really care who plays as long as we get some Thanksgiving football. I'm going to be happy. And then moving to Christmas, we have Browns versus Packers. Colts versus Cardinals. Boy, that Browns Packers will be a snooze fest if they don't have Rodgers. But Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, that'll be a lot of fun. Carson Wentz, Kyler Murray. I mean, that game itself is going to be a blast to watch. I forgot to bring this up last week, but I think it's very noteworthy, noteworthy and we should talk about it. It's just a fun stat. Alvin Kamara has more receptions since 2017 than Tyree Kill, Adam Thielen, Mike Evans, Robert Woods, and Amari Cooper. Ain't that some shit? A, a wide receiver, some of the top wide receivers in the league. He's out catching them as a running a runner in the backfield. And who knows if this will be the same with Jameis? Especially as Drew Brees got towards the end of his career, he liked to have that checkdown option. But still, this guy is a fucking weapon, and those stats blow my mind. Rodgers and the Packers. I haven't been able to talk about that too much on Business of Buckets. You know, when you see headlines like that, you're like, oh, sure. But there's been so much smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Rodgers had supposedly talked to his teammates that he won't be returning. And I don't know. He didn't get traded at the draft, so it still makes me skeptical that this will happen. But some of the teams that are, in the, that are favorites for him, Denver, they have Drew Locke. That makes sense. The Raiders, John Gruden would love to have Aaron Rodgers and probably will get up, give up whoever he has to for that. The Browns. You put Aaron Rodgers on the Browns, they're probably winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, what? this kind of makes sense for me. With the Deshaun Watson and Texans situation, why not just swap QBs? It's like Deshaun's disgruntled. He's going through personal shit now. The Texans don't want to get rid of him because they don't want to lose a franchise quarterback. The Packers and Rodgers are disgruntled. He's already throw, causing shit in the locker room by telling those teammates he's not going to return. Just swap him. Everyone's happy. <laughs> Except Rodgers because he's now with the Texans. But... Um, I, you know, something's got to give either because I don't see these guys giving out, uh, holding out. And I don't know if they have as much power as the NBA where they can kind of do what they want. 
Uh, if anything, Rogers should just host Jeopardy, but I don't think he's going to be cool with that. That's the news of the NFL. Those are some big-time games. It just got me so excited with the schedule coming out uh, while I was headed back from Hawaii and all the damn things that, that are coming in the, the world of the NFL. We're inching closer and closer. I can't wait for Hard Knocks to be announced. It's one of my favorite shows. I love anything behind the scenes. And now with Netflix and all these documentaries, we're getting behind-the-scenes shit on everything. And then Amazon Prime does all or nothing and usually has a football team. So I can't wait to see those things be announced. But what I'm more excited for this weekend is UFC, baby. And last week there was a good card. And then we'll talk about the card this week. Massive UFC 262 pay-per-view card. Well, there have been some fight announcements. We got Johnny Walker versus Tiago Santos. Santos coming from the contention fight with John Jones, gotten beat up a couple times, still a bona fide badass, fighting Johnny Walker, who was once a contender status, young up-and-comer, uh, has taken a couple of L's himself. That's going to be fireworks. We got uh, the Killer Gorilla versus Paula Costa. Paula Costa is supposed to have a, a fight, was able to get pulled off, but now he gets to fight Jared Cannonier, who's still one of the top-ranked guys in this division. I think that's going to be electric. Both guys just throw hands and have hella power. So stylistically, you can't ask for much more if you're a fight fan. We have Darren Till versus Derek Brunson. Brunson looking revitalized after that win of Kevin Holland. And Darren Till just been, you know, just tough as nails and always been in the top five. So that's going to be a great fight. And then we have Islam Makhachev versus Tiago Moises, which is another really good fight. And outside of announced fights, Conor McGregor, announced by Forbes, is the highest-paid athlete last year. So people are like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. The motherfuckers in UFC, these guys don't get paid shit. How the hell is this guy able to become the highest-paid? I mean, we're talking more than soccer players, right? We're talking more than Messi. We're talking more than Ronaldo. How in the hell did this guy pull off $100 million? And he didn't really have that eventful of a year. He had to have been doing something with Dana White. But it just shows that the UFC can pay their fighters more. What the hell's the deal? And it makes me so annoyed because we have the GOAT who's missed so many potential fights with his own personal issues and these UFC issues with Dana White. Pay John Jones. Let him fight fucking Nganu and give us a super fight. Fight fans deserve because if you could pay this prick all this money, you could pay other people. So it just blows my mind when I saw that. And I thought that had to be said because there's something going wrong. And obviously the UFC has blown up and Dana White's been in control. He does what he wants, but there's got to be more money for fighters there. If you could pay this prick a hundred million dollars. Speaking of pricks, we got uh, Logan and Jake Paul beef with uh, uh, Floyd. Supposedly, right, he took his hat. He got beat up. I think he got hit one or twice, once or twice. Jake Paul did. I want to consider that being beat up. That's just clickbait. Uh, but Floyd seems super pissed and serious because he is a goat and they're disrespecting him. And I've seen some different things and different fighters talk about him, how serious this is. I mean, Logan Paul's a bigger, taller dude, but Floyd Mayweather is going to beat his ass anyways. I hope he beats Jake Paul's ass. He said he'd fight them both in the same night. How fucking sick would that be? I would have a blast watching that. Uh, but it's just funny. This shit builds up the fights. That's what the Paul brothers want. They're all just trying to get the paper anyways. Uh, but interesting headline. Supposedly, this rich-ass motherfucker, Conor McGregor, wants to buy Manchester United. That's all we need to do is see more headlines with Conor McGregor. Uh, but that's just wild to think that an MMA fighter has that kind of money and opportunity now. 
And lastly, some sadder news. Anderson Silva says his MMA career is over. He's been getting too injured while training. Hey, I mean, it's sad news, but the time is past done. Uh, it, it's past your time, my man. You, you've left it all in the octagon, and I know you enjoy uh, fighting the, the, the good fight, but there's just there's not, not much left in the, in the sport for you. Uh, there's a few guys right now that have been doing this. Diego Sanchez, I'm sure he's long past retired. We, we we're talking about Cowboy Cerrone here in a minute. He'll be getting another fight supposedly to Dan, uh, according to Dana White, but I think it's past his time as well. There's just in UFC it's a little different. You can only take so many shots, and when you see guys just get brutally knocked out, like Chuck Liddell was towards the end of his career, it's time to be done. Uh, what a legend Silva was. I mean, probably one of the biggest reigns of UFC terror ever, and a go of his time absolutely. The fight card last week, I didn't win a parlay. I did pick the fights pretty well, but there was some good fights. I didn't get to watch a lot of the fights or action because I was in Hawaii getting this beautiful tan, doing my thing, getting some R&R. But in the prelim, or actually, this is the main card, we had Philip Haas' unanimous decision over Kyle Dacus. Philip Haas just looking fucking tough, man. He landed 157 total strikes versus Dacus' 52 he had 66 significant strikes versus Dacus's 28. He also put in two takedowns. Haas was just in control, right? He was bigger, faster, stronger. Didn't let Kyle Dacus create separation and, and open him up. Dacus is pretty young, but he's in a tough spot now with two losses against two of his better opponents. Haas already getting booked. This motherfucker says, I'm here to fight. He now is on a seven-fight win streak and is already booked for July 17th versus Darren Wynn. I'm not familiar with Darren Wynn. But that's badass, man. Keep that momentum going. If I if I was able to escape a fight pretty clean, I would want to do that as well. More money, more problems, not really. But hey, Philip Haas, make it happen, my man. How about Gregor Gillespie? I knew I should have picked his ass. I knew I should have picked his ass. Uh, but it's been so long and with injuries, you just don't know. But he had a second round. This is very impressive, by the way. Second round knockout of Diego Fajeda, who just had an amazing fight against uh, uh, Benil Dariush. And I thought that was going to help because he had fought somewhat recently. He re looked really good. But Gregor Gillespie just fucking outshined him and did, his, hit, did the damn thing. He is a wrestler. He had four takedowns. Fajeda reversed two of them. Uh, but Gillespie led the total strikes, 53-37, put him in a nasty spot. Now that's two tough losses in a row for Diego after the Gillespie and Dariush losses. Gillespie moves up two spots to the twelfth rank, uh, number 12th ranked fighter, and Fijeda falls to number 14. Both these guys, though, are badass. They are just in one stacked motherfucking division, and I can't wait to see either of them fight, to be honest. Um... It's just cool to see Gregor Gillespie back. I mean, this guy was, you know, probably one of the more hyped guys in the division until he had the knee injury and had been out for a while. Um, but Diego Fajardo, he ain't going anywhere. We have Drew Dober, 15th. Kevin Lee, 13. Gregor Gillespie, 12. Islam Makchev, 10. Paul Felder, Benel Dariush, Dan Hooker, RDA, Conor McGregor. I mean... Any of these guys fighting anyone, I want to fucking see it. I'm like, oh, cool, book it up. I'm, I'm ready. Let's get the boys over. Let's watch the fights. Uh, but whoever Gregor Gillespie gets next is going to be insane. He hasn't fought really anybody ranked ahead of him. But imagine him fighting 
Paul Felder, Dan Hooker, RDA, or Conor McGregor. This would just be fireworks. So uh, really cool to see. Tough fight for Fieta, but big-time fight for Gregor as I foresee him just continuing to boost up, up uh, the division. Marcos Rogerio de Lima with a unanimous decision over Maurice Green. Green announced his release from the UFC after this fight. The Crochet King or whatever the hell his nickname is. Uh, DeLima with 166 total strikes versus Green 60. That's 106 more strikes if you can't do quick math. Um, DeLima with three takedowns and just total fucking control in this fight. Uh, I didn't think DeLima was very good. Obviously, Maurice just doesn't have it in him. Um, and the ultimate fighter, he was very dramatic with through some alcohol shit. Had got beat up by Dan Hardy before. And supposedly, Dana White, the UFC's had enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't even care where DeLima goes from here. That sounds very brash and rude of me. Uh, but yeah, I, I, this isn't a very impressive fight. I'd picked green. I'm obviously oblivious here, but, um, big win for Mr. DeLima. And then what I thought would be fight of the night was a very good fight. Two guys with very similar styles. We had my guy, Neil Magny with the unanimous decision over Jeff Neal. I got that one right. Magny with 89 total strikes versus Neal's 37. Magny had two takedowns. Neal had one. That's two losses in a row now for Jeff Neal. Uh, he's also lost to Wonderboy Thompson, Stephen Thompson, which is, you know, these are high-level competitors. Magny now moves up to number eight. Neal is number 10 in the division. Magny versus Jorge Masvidal. Anybody want fucking popcorn tickets to that show? I would love to see that. Or maybe even Vicente Luque. To be honest, I think Vicente is probably the most overrated fighter in this division. This is the welterweight division champion, Camaro, the Nigerian nightmare, Usman. But yeah, number five. I mean, it goes Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, Stephen Thompson, and Vicente. Below him, Michael Chiesa, who changed classes. Jorge Masvidal, Neil Magny. Like, I would take Chiesa and Magny over him. I like this young guy, Li Jing Lang, and I can't wait to see him fucking fight. I hope he gets a fight soon. Um, but regardless, lots of good fights for Magny in the future. He's going to be right thrown into contender's row. And yeah, Jeff Neal. How about Li Jing Lang, man? He's number 11. Uh, Jeff Neal's number 10. Give the young guy a crack. You get a win over an up-and-coming prospect. You could keep moving right up. And I hate that fucking Damian Maia is still in here, but he is at number 9. We had Alex Murano with the round one KO of Donald Cerrone. I love me some cowboy, but I saw this coming. I think he's just taking a few too many hits, right? He's at that point where it doesn't really matter who you're fighting. They know that they're going to come out aggressive and they're going to rock you because your shit's fucked up. This guy's just fought too many times. Uh, he's a legend. I always will love seeing cowboy and always will be a fan. Uh, but this was a slugfest like I expect. Oh, excuse me. That was the next one. Uh, Murano was the aggressor and Cowboy didn't get comfortable, right? Cowboy has just taken too much damage in his career. Murano led with 41 strikes versus Cowboy's 18 versus, before it was finished. But Dana did say Cowboy will get another fight. Hopefully, you know, the Diego Sanchez fight I thought was perfect. Losers are tired. Um, but now that Diego Sanchez has been released, I'm not sure who would make sense for him. But hopefully it's not a, a really high-ranked fighter because I don't want him to get hurt, you know? At some point, this is fucking fighting, and people get hurt. I'm rooting for Cowboy not to go out fucking CTE, right? Marina Rodriguez, unanimous decision over Michelle Watterson. I love me some karate hottie. It was hard for me to pick against her, 
But Marina Rodriguez is a tough fucking fighter. She has a very good record these past few fights. And just the, watching her fights, I did get to get some, some time on this fight. She just looks a lot better than some of these girls in this class. Uh, this was the slugfest that I expected. Um, you know, you can see uh, Michelle Watterson's face after the fight. She did take some damage. Rodriguez with 144 total strikes versus Michelle's 100. And it had 125 significant strikes versus Michelle's 88. Marina is number six in the division. Watterson is now number nine. And obviously that puts Rodriguez on the two-fight win streak against two very good uh, competitors. Anyone ranked ahead of her is really a good fight. She hasn't fought a lot of them. I could see her fighting Mackenzie Dern, Carla Esparza, and Jan Chignon's fighting a couple weeks. You know, potentially the loser of that. There's lots of good fights for her in the future, and I just expect her to be a slugfest in all of the fights, so can't wait for that. This is a fun division in the women's uh, side of the UFC. And now Watterson has lost three out of four, but against just fucking certified killers, right? I would love to see her against Claudia Gadelia or Nina Nunez, who came off the loss against uh, Mackenzie Dern post-baby. Those would be great fights. Um... Maybe even Tisha Torres. I think she might have fought her already. Uh, but yeah, lots of good fights in the women's strawweight division. Now let's talk about another sold-out crowd, UFC 262. Nothing's bigger in, uh, than Texas. I would love to be there as a fan. I can't wait to watch something with fans again. I hate how we've had like a couple of these fan things, and then we go back to the Apex and shit. But this is going to be wild. The fans itself is, you could just tell fighters watching this like, holy fuck, I want to be in front of fans. This is so cool. If you've been watching in they're like, oh, I can't wait to fucking have fans. So let's talk a little bit of prelims because there are some good prelims. As I had almost finished my predictions and just, you know, quick analysts of these fights, I was just thinking, man, all these fights have such good stylistic matchups. It has to be fireworks. Somehow it goes to the judge's decision. I mean, the fighters are fucked because they're going to be close fights. But I expect lots of finishes this card. So you heard it first. If you're not a streamer, pay, pay for the UFC 262. It'll be worth your time. Starting in the prelims, we got Andrea KGB Lee. That's kind of a badass nickname, the KGB. Uh, KGB Lee, she's the number 11th, 11th ranked fighter. She's 32 with an 11-5 record. Going against Antonina La Pantera Shevchenko, the 12th-ranked fighter, who is 36 years old with an 8-2 record. This was a hard one for me to pick. Andrea Lee seems to have faced better competition. Antonina's massively improved. I've watched her past few fights. But her sister's the bullet, man. Like, she's got to be learning from the GOAT, right? So... I think that's going to be a little bit of an edge for her. Shevchenko also has a four-inch reach advantage, what makes a difference, because I see this being on the on their feet in kind of a striking battle. And Leah's come from Invicta. If you don't know her background, she does have three losses in a row. She does have Muay Thai and BJJ background. She's got a brown belt in judo and, and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a black belt in Kaioshkin. So she does have a little bit of flair to her style, a little bit of unorthodox fighting style. And then Antina herself has come from the Contender Series and is on a one-fight win streak. Not really a win streak, but she won her last fight. She has a Muay Thai kickboxing and Taekwondo background. 
But stylistically, this is going to be a banger, a woman's banger. It's going to look a lot like Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson. And this is in the prelim. Not the early prelim, but this is one of the first prelims on the card. And then we have this fucking guy, Jacare Ronaldo Souza, the 41-year-old man, still ranked number 11 with the 26-8 record. This guy's been through some wars. He's taking on Andre Munez, who's 31, right in his fighting prime. He's a 12th-ranked fighter with a 20-4 and record. Munez has a 6-inch reach advantage. Pretty big reach. Suzanne, a three-fight losing streak. He has a BJJ and judo background. He's got a black belt in both. And Munez is on a six-fight winning streak, really on a roll right now. Two of those fights, though, were outside the UFC. Two of them were in contender series which shows that the first contender series one he fought, but he still didn't get a contract. So then he fought, got the contract, did two UFC fights. So that's where the six come from. Because of that, I don't think, like I understand this matchup. Good up-and-comer, got some wins. Let's put him against an, an old vet that's still kind of badass. But dude, Souza looked really good against Kevin Holland until he fucking got those long-ass elbows from the bottom. But what's the odds of that happening again? So I'm going to take my guy Souza. Uh, he's fought a lot of killers. Ed Munoz hasn't fought anybody in the UFC yet. Both are submission guys, so it'll be interesting if they stay on their feet and just try to slay it out or if they try to go to the ground and see who's better on the ground. Uh, if I could explain to you from doing jujitsu and just being around that crowd what a guy that has a judo and BJJ background would look like, it would be the mold of Jock Ray Souza. He literally looks exactly like one of those guys. But I'm going to take Souza. I put him on my parlay, so yeah, fucking book it. I put Shevchenko on there as well. Tough ones, though. Those are those are close fights. Moving in the main card, we got Matt Schnell, 31, the number eight ranked fighter with the 15 and 5 record, versus Rogerio Bontorin. He's 29 with the number nine ranked spot on his name, 16 and 3 record. These are both just upcoming flyweights in their fighting prime, right? These are Guys like this is what's keeping this division alive. Bonatorin, he's on a two-fight win streak. And both fighters have already fought this year in 2021. Schnell himself is coming out of ATT. He's also an Ultimate Fighter alum. And Bonatorin is a black belt in BJJ, and he came from the Contender Series, the Contender Series alum. The winner of this fight is going to be right into contention. I see it going to decision. You don't see a lot of uh, finishes in the flyweight division, which I always hate because who knows what the judges but I'm going to take my guy, Matt Schnell. I, I really liked what he's done the last few fights, and I, I'm happy to see him fighting again. Uh, but again, you know, these guys are hungry. They want to be in contention. And honestly, the flyweight division, the way it is now with Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson gone out, I loved uh, Davison Figueredo, but he's getting a little older, right? I mean, this division is going to be up for grabs. Askar Askarov's looked good. Brandon Moreno gets a rematch. Uh, Alexandre Pantoja has beaten these guys. Benavides is getting really old. Brandon Royval looks real. But a lot of these guys are going to have an opportunity. And I think they know that. And a fight like this could put you in a position. You know, let's say Figueroa wins the rematch, which I expect him to do. You know, how many more title holder uh, chances is he going to get before he falls off? And then another banger alert. We got Shane, the Hurricane Burgos, 30 years old with the number nine on his name, 13 and two record. Versus Edson Barbosa, 35 years old, number 13th ranked fighter, 21-9 and nine record. Burgos is just an orthodox fighter who has lost two to very two tough opponents recently. 
and Josh Emmett, Mr. Clean. That's the nickname that my buddy came up with him because he looks like the Mr. Clean guy when he's bald. And uh, Calvin Cater, Emmett. That Emmett fight was just a slaughter fest, right? He had shattered his knee. These guys are fucking laying it on each other. And that was last June. So obviously Emmett hasn't fought since then and neither has Burgos. You know, Emmett looked like he was going to be recovering, had some complications. Who knows if he even comes back? I, w- I hope he does because fuck, that fight was a masterpiece. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Shane's first fight since that. Um, Barboza himself is a black belt in Taekwondo and brown belt in BJJ. This is one of his first fights moving to the featherweight class. He was in lightweight. He actually recently just got an extension of his UFC contract as well. This could be fight of the night, though. Right? I really expect this. I mean, Barbosa's had some crazy fucking battles, and the, the last one Shane was in uh, was a fucking battle. So I foresee this just being, holy shit, this just happened, and then we move into like the three best fights on the card. The last woman's ladies fight of the night, we have Caitlin Chukagian, the number two ranked fighter. She's 32 with a 14 and four record, beat damn near everyone in the division versus Vivian Arahu, the number 10th ranked fighter. She's 34 with a 10 and two record. She looks fucking vicious. I would not want to fuck with Vivian. That's all I got to say. She's on a two fight win streak. She's a black belt in BJJ and brown belt and Luta Livre. Chukagian herself is a brown belt in BJJ, and Vivian is looking very impressive right now, and a win puts her right up into contention, right? I think Dana White knows that, He's like, hey, let's just put her up against Caitlyn. I think she's ready, but Caitlyn's no joke. She knows how to handle this division. She's beaten the best of the best besides the champs, obviously, uh, but I believe Chuk- Chukagian has too much experience, and she's in her prime as well. I think it's going to be a very evenly matched fight. Another 50-51, but I'm taking Caitlyn in this one as I think Vivian's just a little too raw and Caitlyn is able to do what she needs to do to keep the number two on her name. Now, I've been thinking for a while before this fight's been booked, who would make sense for Tony Ferguson? Who would make sense for Benel Dariush? Because he was, you know, bitching like, hey, you guys don't give me a big name. I do love this fight. But it's just tough for me because I was such a Tony fan that I don't know how this is going to play out. So we got Tony El Ugh, I always forget to say this. Kukui, uh, I think. El Kukui Ferguson, the number fifth ranked fighter, 37 years old with a 26-4 and four record versus Benil Dariush, the number eight, ninth ranked rec- number ninth ranked fighter, 32 years old with a 24-1 and one record. Ferguson himself does have a four and a f- four and a half inch reach advantage. El Kukui is on a two fight losing streak. He is an orthodox fighter with a black belt in BJJ, and he's an Ultimate Fighter alum and OG. That's why I love this motherfucker. Snap Jujitsu. Darius himself is on a six fight win streak, black belt in BJJ and Muay Thai. I think this is one of those things, though, where Tony has taken a lot of fucking damage in his last two fights, and they've both been this year, right? We had uh, Charles Olier, Oliveira, Charlie Olives. He also got fucking destroyed by Justin Gaethje. He said he did two weeks of jiu-jitsu training before um, his last fight against Charlie Olives. So it's like, okay, man, you're a legend. You're fucking wacko crazy. You're El Kukui. He said that he wasn't motivated. He's got a new team. 
But I think that's just too much fucking noise in the background. And I think Dariush has just steadily improved. And he seems just like a calm, cool, and collected guy. He's got his shit together. He's about to have a baby with his wife. If you've been watching the Contender series. So I am going to take Dariush on this. He's actually the favorite fighter, uh, which I thought was shocking. Uh, but really, really, really want Tony to win this fight and, and get another chance. But my gut is just telling me no. Like I said, I think Dariush being in his fighting prime, Tony being 37, he's just taking too much damage. But either way, I can't fucking wait for this fight. And I don't think it goes to the judges' decisions. We'll say that much. Now we have Charles Dubronx Oliveira, the number third ranked fighter, 31 years old, 29 and 8 record, versus Michael Iron Chandler, the number fourth ranked fighter, 35 years old, and 22 and 5 record. So I'll just say I'm taking Chandler. You know, a lot of the, the, this parlay, uh, you know, I've been hitting, I've been doing well. I want to get my parlay. I want to win more money, obviously. So I'm trying to pick the right fighters. Normally, always, I would have took Tony Ferguson 100% just because I love the guy. But same with this fight. And I was really telling myself, like, why why Chandler? why Or why Oliveira? I just don't think Charles really has that staple win, right? He did beat the shit out of Ferguson, but I think that's past his prime or past his, like, really good days. Um, and he looked spectacular. But does that have to do with Tony and his two weeks and just being all over the fucking place? Or has Charlie really stepped up his game, right? So that's really the tough thing for me. And obviously Chandler is coming off of just fucking um, emphatic performance and knockout of Dan Hooker. And I didn't know a lot because I don't fucking give a shit about Bellator and tune into Bellator. But dude, this guy is such a good fucking guy with the, you know, him and his wife adopting the kids. And he just looks like he has his head on right and at the perfect place in the perfect time. You know, I don't speak Char Charles Oliveira's language and it looks like he's got his shit together. Going back home, he's doing the horse racing and stuff. But sometimes you just sense an energy within a fighter and you kind of ride that wagon. And I'm on that Chandler wagon now. I hate that this is for the title. I don't think these guys are the best guys in that division. And it's really annoying because this could be potentially the toughest division in all of UFC. But with Poirier wanting to take the money against Michael, uh, not against Michael, against Conor McGregor, that takes him away. I think Poirier would beat both of these guys. And then Justin Gaethje is just sitting out in the wing, and I think he could beat both of these guys as well. So I think I'm just more annoyed that one of these motherfuckers is going to be the champion and really thinks they des deserved it. But in the specifics, Oliveira is on an eight-fight win streak. He's obviously a black belt in BJJ. He's a submission artist. And he looked better than ever against Tony. And obviously, he's improved. But is he going to be able to withstand the striking of Michael Chandler? Chandler's a wrestler, but I know he doesn't want to fuck with uh, Charles on the, on the ground. So I don't think this goes to a decision. Chandler himself is on a three-fight win streak with only one of those being in the UFC against Dan Hooker. He's a D1 wrestler and very powerful striker. Obviously, he's coming from uh, Bellator. Oliveira, stylistically, though, isn't as good against wrestlers, and I have a feeling Chandler is going to catch him. He's very stout and durable. I think he's going to try to keep him up on the cage versus get him on the ground. If Oliveira does get past the third round, though, which would be uh, pretty amazing, I think he's got the fight. I would like to pick Charlie Olives, but like I said, I I'm just kind of won over by the fact, like, holy shit, this Chandler guy is a real deal. Um, for me, Charles just doesn't have that staple win though. And that was really what, what separated it for me. Cause you look at his record, it's like, okay, obviously he's a legend. Obviously he's, you know, been in a lot of fights, 
but does he deserve to be a champion? And is he going to beat Michael Chandler, who's kind of a wild card to me because I don't watch fucking Bellator? He's 31, though. He is in his fighting prime. But let's look. He's fought Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is great, but he's like a middle of the line, like an eighth-ranked fighter to, to me. Jared Gordon, okay, that's not a big win. Nick Lentz, not a big win. David Tamer, not a big win. Jim Miller, that's a vet. This was in 2018. That's a good win, but that's not a staple win. Christos Giagos, not a staple win. Clay Guida, that was in 2018. That's way past his prime. Then he lost to Paul Felder. He lost to Ricardo Lamas. He lost to Anthony Pettis. He lost to Max Holloway. He beat Jeremy Stevens in Ultimate Fighter back in 2014. That's like his best win. He's lost to Frankie Edgar. He's lost to Cub Swanson. He's lost to Cowboy Cerrone. He lost to Jim Miller way back in the day. So it's just like, ah. I do a lot of what you've done and what your resume is. I think that makes a big difference, and that's how I, I base a lot of my predictions. And it just didn't feel right. So there we have it. Michael Iron Chandler is going to be the fucking lightweight champion, and I hate it even though I love the guy. But next up, it's another UFC Apex event. This will be headlined by Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. That's banger alert all over. Guarantee you that don't last uh, three rounds. Uh, you know, it'll be a five-round main event because it's a headliner, but I, I'm, I'm guaranteeing one last three. Hell yeah, fight game. I can't wait, though. A lot of close matchups this fight card and a lot of fucking awesome stylistic matchups. But hey, it's the last fucking week of the NBA. Can you guys believe that? The last week. And my Jazz are still in first. So let's talk basketball. So some headlines in NBA. Oladipo out for the year. Miami goes, gets the guy. He's out for the year. I think he played four games in a Heat uniform. That's definitely a tough one. The NBA creates an Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award for social justice champion. I think that's really cool. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been very involved with social injustice. And I think it, it you know just shows the kind of amazing things that that legend has done. You know, it's always an honor to have a word named after you, but I think that was just a cool headline I had to bring up. The beard is back. James Harden returning right before the playoffs. That's got to have the rest of the East shitting their pants. And then uh, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, and LBJ still haven't returned. LBJ had been, you know, potentially in and out the past few games. They do have a big game coming up, so I assume he'll be playing. Mike Conley being questionable, and Donovan has been ruled out the rest of the regular season. So how can he get put back into the mix right in the first round of the playoffs, which could be against like the Lakers or Warriors, which sheesh, as a Jazz fan, that's got me nervous. And then the NBA record for most threes in a season broken again as the league continually shifts to three-point basketball. And Jalen Brown out for the season with a torn ligament in his left wrist, his non-shooting wrist, which is great news, but terrible news if you're a Celtics fan. What a fucking disappointing season it's been. It's not over, but I doubt they're going to go anywhere. So four days left. Let's talk about what happened in this long week uh, since the last podcast and since I've came back from Hawaii. On Tuesday, the Bucks flexed their muscles and they beat the Nets and Giannis. Uh, beat the Nets as Giannis had 36 points, 12 rebounds. He went four from 12 from three. Not very good percentage-wise, but he's starting to shoot the deep ball. He's trying to get involved. And you got to be able to evolve your game like that as a big if you really want to win a championship, especially with the Milwaukee Bucks. 
The Mavs beat Miami behind Tim Hardaway's 36 points. And the Pelicans upset the Warriors, even though Steph Curry had 37 points. And old Lonzo Ball had 33, going 7 from 14 from 3. If you don't know, that's 50%, and that's really fucking good. On Wednesday, the Jazz blew out the Spurs as they tried to stay alive for the play-in game, and the Jazz didn't have their star guards, so Jordan Clarkson made the most of it, and he's really trying to make a six-man-of-the-year statement, which I think he's already won the award in my opinion, Uh, but he put up 30 points in the victory. And then the Hawks upset the Suns, and further them from the number one in the West and help them get closer to number four in the East. Uh, seven players having double-digit performances for the Hawks in that upset. And the Kings, another upset. They upset the Pacers as they try to move up in the play-in tournament. Marvin Bagley rolling for the Kings. 31 points, 12 rebounds. Good to see after some injury issues, a highly thought, sought-after player in the draft. I hope it works out for him as the Kings are kind of a purgatory team. But big performance for him in that upset, which isn't good for the Pacers. The Bucks escaped the Wizards. Drew a holiday, leading the team with 29 points. Love to see me some Drew Holiday. That's the difference maker if the Bucks really want to win it. And Bradley Bill put up a cool 42 in the loss, as he is the points per game leader in the NBA. The Nuggets handled the Knicks as they lock in a top four Western spot. Jokic with 32 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. Just, you know, borderline triple-doubles on a nightly basis. No big deal. Moving into Thursday, the Mavs beat the Nets while they try to avoid the play-in tournament. Luka with 24-10-8. And the Pacers got it together and beat the Hawks after that shitty loss to the Kings. DeMontis Sabonis with 30 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists. Love seeing these guys put up almost triple-doubles nightly. And then the Clippers smoked the Lakers in the Battle of L.A., PG leading the Clippers with 24 points, seven players in double digits. Obvious Kawhi, obviously Kawhi and PG playing there, and LeBron not playing. On Friday, the Jazz beat the Nuggets in a playoff rematch from last year without Conley and Donovan. Bojan Bogdanovic just took over with 48 points, eight rebounds. And then the Suns beat the Eastern foe, the New York Knicks. DeAndre Ayton leading the team with 26 points and 15 rebounds. Good to see him picking up some momentum before the playoffs. And then Portland beating the Lakers as they drop another one. And both teams are really trying to avoid that play-in tournament. Lillard with 38 points, 7 assists. Last weekend, the Pacers and Wizards, as you would expect, all offense. I told you guys in this game, expect just gas fireworks and all the overs. Uh, Wizards win in overtime as Bill dropped a 50-burger. And then the Nets beat the Nuggets as KD had 33 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists. If KD's playing like that, and this is without James Harden, they're probably going to win a ship. You put a healthy James Harden in there, holy shit. The Spurs drop another one to the Blazers. Lillard has 30 points, 8 rebounds. Moving to Sunday, the Heat beat the Celtics. Jimmy Buckets with 26 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists. Those almost triple-double lines. And then the Knicks shock a a healthy Clippers team, uh, which is kind of surprising. D. Rose leading the team off the bench with 25-6-8. And And then the Lakers toppled the Suns as the one seed just slips away. AD had 42 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. AD playing like that, though. Better watch out if, if LBJ can be healthy. And then earlier this week, the Warriors beat the Jazz behind Steph Curry's 36 points. 
The Hawks slip away from the Wizards. Trey Young with 36, 6, and 9. And the Spurs got hot and beat the Bucks. Four players over 20 points on the Spurs, which is a very good performance and a very big win for the Spurs because they're borderline. I think they're the only team that hasn't locked in a playoff spot. Yep. They could somehow fall out and the Kings could get in. Everything would have to go right. Kings would have to win out and Spurs would have to lose out. But it's shitty that they're even in that situation. Uh, 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 uh. Let's see, where am I at? On Tuesday, the Heat beat the Celtics again. Tyler Hero this time warming up on the bench with 24-11. and 11. And the Pacers beat the Sixers without Joel Embiid. Karis Levert with 24-7-5. and five. And then the Grizzlies just blowing out the Mavs out of nowhere. Uh, John Morant with 24-7-8. and eight. Games like this is where the play-in game really benefits because the Grizz are really trying to fight for those positions when, you know, normally they probably would have been tanking and been out. Uh, but John Morant putting up and the Grizzlies just showing the Mavs with what's up. Now, the Warriors beat the Suns. And Andrew Wiggins this time, it's not just the Steph show, going 38-7. and seven. Good to see old Wiggins doing his thing. And then the Lakers beat the Knicks in a tight one. Kyle Kuzma leading the Lakers with 23 points. And yesterday, the Jazz drop another one. They lose to the Blazers this time. Lillard with 30.6 assists. There's still a game ahead for the one spot, but getting a little too close for my liking. Don't play with me because I'm close to the edge. And the Hawks beating the Wizard. Trey Young, man, he's fucking rolling. 33 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists. And the Nets, clear as day, beat the Suns, or the Spurs, without Kyrie Irving. Landry Shamet starting a point guard in his place, leading the team with 21 points. So that leaves us the remaining days. There's not many games on Friday, but we got a stacked slate today, Saturday, and Sunday, where teams are still juxtaposed positioning for playoffs. So tonight we got 76ers versus Heat. You know, the 76ers are in a good spot, but Miami needs a big win to be able to lock in the four spot. The Blazers play the Lakers on TNT. These are both TNT doubleheaders. Those are the must-see TV, Shaq, Kenny, and crew. Miami's fighting for home court in that four seed, and the Blazers are battling for the sixth spot, which they are currently tied for uh, the Mavs but they have the tiebreaker and the Lakers are trying to avoid that play in tournament as they currently sit in the seventh spot, which is hilarious. Except if the jazz have to play them first round, not hilarious. Hey, you got the one seed. Now you get the Lakers. Now you're out of the playoffs. Hey, jazz fans. Woo. Uh, the bucks beat the Pacers as the Pacers battle for the number eight seed Spurs versus Knicks as the Knicks try to snag the number four in the East. And on Saturday, the Lakers take on the Pacers the Suns play the Spurs, and the Heat play the Bucks, which very well could be the 3-6 potential first-round matchup and rematch from last year where Miami leapfrogged themselves into the NBA championship. I, I hope that happens. I mean, sorry if you're a Bucks fan, but holy shit, that'd be great. Sunday, the Celtics take on the Knicks on ESPN. The Suns battle the Spurs. The Grizzlies battle the Warriors, which is a huge game for these teams. And the Nuggets versus the Blazers, which could be easily another first-round matchup. It could be a little 4-5 situation. So let's look at playoff uh, potential playoff matchups. This is with my assumption in the last few games left. 
I have the Blazers versus the Warriors in the first playoff play-in game. How fucking bonkers would that be? Warriors, Blazers, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Andrew Wiggins. Please, I would love to see that. Holy shit. This is what makes the play-in game fun. That's electric. Who would have thought, right? Jazz versus Warriors first round. I had the Blazers winning that game, getting the seventh spot. The Warriors beating the winner of the Grizz and the Spurs, which puts them at the eight. Which, as a one seed, that's, that's a little scary. Steph Curry can do crazy things. The Jazz are good enough, though, and I'm confident they'll get that dub. But they might be able to steal the game away. We got Suns versus Blazers. Same thing with the Suns. I'd expect them to handle it. But, hey, the Blazers aren't an easy out, especially with Clutch Dame. We've seen all the memes that he's done in the past few years. We got Lakers versus Clippers from my prediction. A battle of L.A. first round. The Jazz avoid them. That's the best case scenario. Let's go. And then Mavs versus Nuggets. Holy shit, what a good matchup. I'd really have to do some considering on who I'd pick in that matchup. Especially with Jamal Murray out for the year. And then in the East, I got 76ers versus Wizards. I have the Wizards getting the 8th spot. They lose to the... Uh, Celtics, but then they win against the losers. You know, the 76ers just with Joel Embiid alone with the big man should handle it, but it'll be fun watching Bill and uh, Westbrook just go ham on them. See if Ben Simmons can stop them. Nets versus Boston. You know, Boston's in a shitty position, but that's still not a first-round team that you'd want to fuck with. Bucks versus Heat, which, you know, I've expected and would be really fun. Already talked about that. And then Knicks versus Hawks. Who the fuck do you pick in this one? I have the Knicks getting the four spot, so home court. But I would assume the trio of John Collins, Trey Young, and Bogdan Bogdanovich would be enough. But the tough, gritty game of the Knicks. And supposedly I read something on Twitter today. New York City's traffic is wild for the game tonight. It looks like the Knicks are back. New York's back. People are loving it. There's going to be a lot of fucking energy in Madison Square Garden. So who knows? Who knows? Moving over, we got baseball warming up in the summertime. And my Angels just busting headlines. The Angels release Albert Pujols. I repeat that again. Albert fucking Pujols. Like, what? Do we just want to be that squad? Like, one year left, figure it out. Is it that uh, Joe Madden is such a fucking ignorant prick that he can't manage another guy? Is it really that uh, Pujols is playing that bad? We can't make it work. There, you got to figure out how to manage that relationship and get through the season. Like, you have to. Now here we are releasing one of the goats that, to play the game. And it just looks terrible. And it, it doesn't make our cl clubhouse feel any better. You know, he's basically mentored Mike Trout. You could look at the 10 years that we signed him to, and you guys can say that's an epic failure. He did have his moments. We never really did anything except a one-game wild card and lost to the Royals, who ended up winning the World Series. But is Trout going to be Trout without Mike Albert Pujols? I don't think so, and I think Trout can attest to that. It's a sad day if you're an Angel fan, for sure. That happened days ago, but it's still a sad day. KD trading for Shohei Otani in the show because he's a fucking unicorn. Yeah, he is a fucking unicorn, and if, I, if I'm playing the show, I'm trading for him as well. I named my fantasy football or baseball team Showtime, S-H-O, and I got him as, you have to draft him twice. You have to draft him as a utility offensive player and as a pitcher. But I fucking love the guy. He is bonkers. It's just cool to see NBA players talking about uh, baseball because 
baseball just doesn't get much love. The Mariners are calling up their farm studs for tonight's game. Logan Gilbert and Jared Kalenic. I believe Kalenic's number one and Gilbert's top 10. That's a pitcher, a starting pitcher, and an outfielder. The Mariners are still right in there, right? They're still playing decent ball. And the AL West are currently in third with an 18 and 19 right around 500 record. It'll be interesting to see what they can do with some with the, some inserts of some young firepower that should have been called up weeks ago. The Mets just fucking rocked Matt Harvey's debut back at City Field. It was an emotional comeback, and they just rocked him. Uh, yeah, he doesn't got much left. He played for the Angels last year. I watched him play. JT Real Muto and Tatis Jr. on the COVID list, and Glyber Torres entering the COVID list after getting COVID in the offseason and getting a vaccine. Yeah, that's a little sketchy. He's already had the vaccine and he had COVID. Shit's going to get weird, guys. Shit's going to get weird. Hey, I'm in Seattle. The governor announced we're going to phase three next week and the, the state will be open June 30th. Fingers crossed. But with news like Torres, who the fuck knows? The Oakland A's talking about new stadium or possible move. Las Vegas has come up. If you're not going to get a new stadium in Oakland, which I think Oakland deserves a team because you take them out of there, they don't have shit. Go to Vegas. I love the idea. I love the idea of just being able to take easy flights to Vegas and watching games. I can't wait to go to that Vegas football stadium. So, hey, who knows? But um, they got to figure it out because the, the fact that they're still doing that in that park just blows my mind. The Milwaukee Brewers, Corbin Burns, setting the record for most strikeouts without a walk this season at 58. Supposedly it broke towards the end of the game, but still very impressive, Mr. Corbin Burns. Looking at the standings, there are some interesting things and some things that you would expect, like the AL East. Boston, Toronto, and the Yankees all battling atop. I don't know if I expected Boston to be battling at the top or be on top in the first place. They're sporting a nice 22-16 and 16 record. In the AL Central, the White Sox and Indians are very close. The Royals are slumping now 16-19. and 19. And the Minnesota Twins, 12-22. and 22. Brutal start to the year. But hey, it's not another shortened season. They got 160-plus games to go get it. Oakland and the Astros atop the AL West. They're really battling my angels at the bottom. The bottom of the fucking... The Texas Rangers have a better record than my Halos. We're 16-20. and 20. And we might have the top two people in MVP contention with Trout and Otani. Yeah, fuck my life. Three games of separation in the NL East, but the Mets are atop at 18-13. and 13. With all the shit the Mets have been going through, they're still atop. Philly in second, Atlanta in third. But that's going to be just a slaughterhouse, and whoever comes out of that is going to be very, very battle-tested. In the NL Central, Cardinals and Brewers battling it out. And in the NL West, another three-way dog dog race, Dodgers, Giants, and Padres. But in last week's series, my Angels, even though we only have 16 wins, somehow find a way to get two of them against the Dodgers to win the freeway series. So stick that up your pipe and... Eat it, you fucking Dodger fans. Uh, I can't stand the Dodgers. They're going to win, though. They're going to win. Uh, Otani with 10 strikeouts, a start, and played in right field. The first time since 1952. If that's not a fucking athlete and amazing fucking MVP candidate, I don't know what is. This guy can do everything, 
and we still lost the game. He had seven innings, one earned 10 Ks, and our bullpen fucking blew it. He only pitched 88 pitches. I wish we would have let him go another inning. Got to play safe with him, though. And that was after a horrible series uh, against the Astros. The Angels did that. The Yankees beat the Nationals 2-1 to one last week, keeping up some steam against a good national team. The Brewers beat the Marlins to, to you know, stay heavy top dogs in their division, going 2-1. The Braves beat the Phillies 2-1 with a big 6-1 win on Sunday Night Baseball, even with their stud ace Aaron Nola on the mound. The White Sox swept the Royals as they continue to fall. The Astros beat the Blue Jays in a big AL battle. The Athletics beat the Rays in another big AL battle. Go AL West. And the Giants beat the Padres. A little revenge in the last weekend series 2-1. So this weekend, we got some games. We have Angels-Red Sox to see if my Angels can compete against a decent team. The Royals versus White Sox again to see if they can catch momentum and not get swept. The Mets and Rays, little fun AL-NL battle. The Phillies and Blue Jays, another AL-NL battle. Braves versus Brewers. Athletics versus Twins. Twins, where are you at? Indians versus Mariners here in Seattle. Uh, was going to go to the Mariners game tonight, but after a Hawaii, need to chill a little bit. Um, Marlins versus Dodgers. And then probably the best one of this weekend, in my opinion, you got the Cardinals and the Padres. That is if Tatis was playing. I don't know if he's going to play, so probably not the best one. Supercross is done. No more Supercross to end the show. But next week, we will be talking NHL as the playoffs are here. You know, I, I didn't want to speak into the season because I'm not really watching the games. And, you know, I'll, I'll just be giving you guys bullshit what I'm talking about. But I'll be watching playoffs because that shit's crazy. I'm talking seven-game series, underdogs winning. It's a fucking fun thing to do. And my Colorado Avalanche have a shot. They have a shot. So next week we'll talk matchups as most of them have been determined. Teams like the Avalanche quite haven't figured out who they'll be playing yet. Uh, but that's it for episode 23, Business and Buckets. Don't forget about our sponsor, Keeping Me Alive out here, Field Supplements. Thank you, Josh Morin and team, for keeping the lights on. If you're buying supplements, buy from Field Supplements. They got you everything with 20% off. My code, Buckets. Anywhere online for any of their products outside whey protein. See you guys next week.